Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. Ready for the word this morning? Cool. Father, we pray for your blessing over your word, over your scripture, over what it is that you want to teach us, show us this morning. We ask that our hearts would be receptive, open, that we'd be responsive to your word, that we'd be people who put it into practice. Not only hear it, not only be hearers, but doers too. In Jesus' name, and everybody in the 10 o'clock said, Amen. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, about three years ago now or so, um, I got thrown into the deep end pastorally because there was a young lady in our church, 16 years of age, beautiful, vivacious young lady who committed suicide, 16 years old. And I had to do a funeral. And that's, I think, a devastatingly difficult funeral to do. Uh, one, because of the level of emotion that goes on inside of me as I'm trying to do that. There's a lot of people moving around in the auditorium. Can we try and settle down? Thank you. Cool. So, the level of emotion that works within you for something like that is exceptionally difficult to contain. But I felt so grossly inadequate because um, how do you, part of pastoring people well is to empathize with them in these moments. And how do I empathize with a family that's just lost a 16-year-old daughter? How do I put myself in their shoes? It's one of the hardest moments of my life. Just this last week, having come back from holiday, somebody told me about a 13-year-old girl who was raped right next door to her house. Some of you have told me about the job losses that you are suffering. One man in our congregation He's lost his eyesight. Some of you told me about houses and cars that are either being repossessed or on the verge of being repossessed. There's so much loss. And loss is something that you and I, as Christ followers, we have to learn to come to terms with. And we have to learn to navigate it, church. We have to learn wisdom through loss. We can't pretend it doesn't happen. And rather than try and teach this morning on, on wisdom through loss from my own perspective, rather than offer you some thoughts myself, I want to take you to a man in Scripture who I think suffered the greatest amount of loss that I, I, I've read of any human being. He suffered more loss, I think it would be safe to say, than most of us in the congregation would have had to endure. His name is Job. There's a book in scripture after his name. He's the author of it and he's the main character in the book. Uh, it takes place, the book of Job takes place in the Northern Arabian Peninsula geographically. That's where his story happens. Uh, timing wise, we're not quite sure, but scholars, most scholars seem to agree on a time period of between 2,100 years before Christ and 2,000 years before Christ. It's the most ancient book of the Bible. Amazing. It consists of 42 chapters. We don't know much about this guy, Job, except that we know that he was well-educated because he talks at great length about the heavens and about the earth. And so this book gives us wisdom. 
offers us wisdom, if we'll take it this morning, for what to do when you're walking through a season of loss. Because make no mistake, if you're not walking through one now, there will be at some stage when you'll come, have to come face to face with a level of loss that's deeply uncomfortable for us. The scripture tells us that this man, Job, was a man of complete integrity. God describes him, Job, a man of complete integrity, absolute righteousness, a good man, feared God, turned away from evil of any kind. He was a man of enormous wealth. He had seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. They say that he was the greatest man on the eastern side of, of the earth at that point in time. The story of Job is it's a compelling story. There's a cosmic battle that happens in the heavens where Satan comes to God one day and he, and he says, hey God, and God says, hey Satan, what you been doing? He says, I've been roaming to and fro the earth, you know, having my way with your creation. God says, oh, have you now? Have you considered my servant Job? A man of complete integrity, fears God, turns away from evil. You haven't had your way with my uh, creation quite the way you think you have, Satan. Satan says to him and he laughs in God's face. He goes, oh, Job only loves you, only honors you, only has that integrity because look how you've blessed him, God. Look at his wealth. Take away his wealth. I guarantee you, he will curse you to your face. God says, you're on. It's game on. You can do whatever you want to his wealth, just don't harm him. So Satan gets busy. He starts, he inflicts Job's family and his, and his health and his wealth. Satan comes and he touches all of Job's possessions. Long story short, one day Job's eating and drinking, he gets news. All of your livestock is dead or being stolen. All of it, your wealth. Every last shred of your wealth is gone. All of your sons and your daughters, dead in one fell swoop. A house fell in on them, crushed them to death. They're dead. Job responds. Naked I came into the earth. And naked I'll depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Round two of the cosmic battle. Satan comes to God. He says, hey God. Satan, God says, hey Satan, what you been doing? He says, roaming to and fro the earth, having my way with your creation. God says, oh, have you now? Have you considered my servant Job? Who despite what you did, never cursed me to my face. Satan says to him, skin for skin. A man will trade all of his wealth for his health. His wealth's gone. That's no big deal to him. Strike his health and he'll curse you to your face. I guarantee it. God says, you're on. You can do anything you want to him. Just don't kill him. So Satan comes and he afflicts Job with boils from the top of his head to the tips of his toes. In pain and in agony and in an attempt to somehow alleviate this terrible suffering, he breaks a glass and begins to scrape and cut himself and cut these boils. You get some sense as to the agony that this man is in. His wife chips in at that time and says, what about your God now? Are you still willing to believe in him? Still not gonna curse his face? He says, so you speak as a foolish woman. It takes a bold man to say that. 
And uh, he rebukes her and he sits down in the dust, covers himself with dust, tears his robes and sits. At this point in the story, three of his friends arrive. The Bible tells us that when they were still far off, they looked and they saw, they thought it was him, but they couldn't be sure because his appearance was so terrible. They couldn't recognize him. They arrive with him, they see him, and they sit in the dust with him. For seven days and seven nights, no one utters a word. That's how we know Job's friends were male, because what woman could stay quiet? <laughs> For seven days and seven nights. You see, men have got a nothing box. We can go to it. It beckons us from time to time. Women have got no nothing box, haven't you? All the women said? Amen. So I don't know, maybe Job went into his nothing box, but nobody spoke for seven days and seven nights. After seven days and seven nights, Job speaks. And this is the start of a discourse of 39 chapters of dialogue between Job and his friends, Job and God, God and Job's friends. Everybody's talking to everybody, trying to figure this whole lot out. Eventually, chapter 41, the story comes to a head. God, in essence, long story short, God looks at Job and he speaks to him. And you can go and read the chapter for yourself, but in essence, he says to him, Job, listen to me. You're a man, and I'm God, and I don't need to answer to you. Though you seek me for answers, none are forthcoming. So, what I want to do is just assure you of my faithfulness. So now, go and pray for your muhu friends, because the friends accuse him. They say, there must be something, Job, you've done. Job, listen, this stuff doesn't just happen. Surely you've done something wrong. God's punishing you. God says to them, I rebuke you for that. You're not representing me faithfully. He says, now, End of chapter 40. Go pray for your friends and then see what I'm gonna do for you. And this is where the story ends. Let's read it together in chapter 41, uh, 42. Verses 10 to 17. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. It's amazing. First he says, hey, go pray for your muhus, your friends. These, these chops, these morons. These guys who don't represent, they don't know me and they're trying to tell you what you've done wrong. Giving you cheap answers, trite answers, surface answers, unhelpful answers. Go pray for them and then, I'll, and then he restores his fortune. I wonder how many fortunes emotionally, physically, spiritually could be restored if we would pray for the people who've offended us. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all his brothers, his sisters, and former friends. I love the way it's former friends. Like, oh, now, they're back on the, now they're back on the bandwagon. Now the gravy train, it's coming back. 
and they feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials that the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen and a thousand female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. And then that gives their names. In all the land, no woman was as lovely as the daughters of Job and their father put them into his will along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died, an old man who'd lived a full, long life. Some lessons from this, because this book of Job is part of what we call wisdom literature. There are parts of the Bible that is referred to as wisdom literature, because they're high on wisdom, right? If you want wisdom, you do well to read them. Job's one of those. If you want to know where to find the book of Job after this, just go to Psalms in your Bible, kind of in the middle of your Bible, and hit a short left, okay? And then Job is right there. Some lessons from Job's life. Wisdom that I see from Job's story. God's not the author or architect of pain. It's very clear here who's up to what nonsense. Satan's the one who would come and steal, kill, and destroy. The question before us, church is it's all very well to say God is not the author or architect of pain. What we need to ask ourselves is, are we okay, though, with a God that allows it to happen? You see, that's the big question for us is, can you and I be okay with a God who allows a righteous man like Job to suffer the way he did? That is the question that you and I have to think through. Can you be okay with that? The answer to that question is located in what's your worldview of God. If your view of God is that he is in some way obliged to bless you and God is primarily interested in your comfort rather than your character, then you will never be okay with that question. Because the reason why Job was tested the way he was was never revealed to Job. You and I, we have to if we're serious about our faith and if we're authentic about asking the deep questions is, God, am I okay with you being more concerned with my character development than my comfort? Am I okay for you to let affliction hit me in the pursuit of a purer character? But if our predisposition towards God is, God, you're there to bless me, comfort me, make my life lacquer, then this question will always elude you. Are you with me? Wisdom that I see from Job's life is that bad stuff happens to good people. And it can happen through no fault of your own or my own. Now listen, sometimes it does happen because we were just idiots. Are you with me? You know, I have a saying it's trademarked to me. So if you actually go look this up under trademarks, you'll see Byron Chicken, it comes up there. Here's my saying. If you want to use it, you have to put TM there, trademarked. You can't fix stupid. You know it's true. 
You can be kind to it. You can love it. You can show grace to it, but you can't fix it. Listen to me, ladies. If you have a stupid boyfriend, you are not gonna fix him. Men, if you've got a foolish woman like Job's wife, you're not gonna fix her. You're gonna spend your whole married life trying to fix somebody. It can't be fixed. Stupidity cannot be fixed. God can fix it. But they've got to pursue wisdom. Are you with me? So bad stuff happens to good people sometimes because we're doff. But sometimes like Job, just because like, he was so righteous. Listen to me this morning. The loss that you've endured could be because you've been so righteous. You could have been retrenched or let go because you wouldn't sign the forms and crook the books the way the boss wanted you to. Are you with me? Can you be okay with that? Job grieved. He grieved. You know, Pastor um, Trevor Hudson is like my um, spiritual sort of advisor or I suppose father or whatever. I go to him. He's coming in a few weeks' time to preach. So those of you who've heard him, you'll know how incredible he is as a, as a communicator. But he's just the most a wise human being. I, say, I said to him the other day, Trevor, how do you deal with the amount of loss that you get to hear about? Because you see, doing what we do, we get to hear lots of stories. The average person, you know, just going about life doesn't get to hear all the difficulty and the, 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 the hurt and harm that comes to people. But when you're a pastor, you hear that stuff. So I have to go to counseling because of yurks. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> so I can release. No, and that's, and that's, that's good, that's healthy. That, that's my job and it's my job to be able to work that stuff out. And it's my job to be able to help you and it's Pastor Steve's job and Pastor Kathy's job and Pastor Kathy too. We, we have to be in the place where we can offer you something from within us. But we've got to grieve this stuff. Job sat there, guys, for seven days and seven nights like on his knees. And then on, I don't know, maybe it was on his back, maybe it was on his face. But he took seven days and seven nights to just let it sink in. I had a conversation with somebody on the phone this week and they told me like devastating news. I said to them, can, can, we, just, can we just quickly, just before we round off this, con- can we just talk about what you've just told me and what that, is doing to your soul. Can we just, can you just stop and, and process the news that you've had to give me? Know what I mean? In our day-to-day life, Joburg's so busy and so fast. Sometimes like we don't grieve, why? Because we, we, like, there's no time. It's healthy to grieve. If you're suffering loss, if you've suffered loss, I wanna encourage you to stop. There's a beautiful word in the Psalms called sila. Stop, pause, think about it. 
Are you with me? It's gone so quiet in this Catholic Mormon church. Is this helping anybody today? Okay. Wisdom that I see from Job's life is that your friends matter much more than you think they do. Job's friends, let's talk about them. They did three things brilliantly. Firstly, they moved towards him when he was suffering. So as soon as they saw him, they arrived. They came to him. They're like, Job, you're in need. They, they came to him. When they looked at him, they got a bit of a shock. They're like, whoa, is this like, yes, like, you don't look good, dude. <laughs> you know? They looked at him, and, but they moved towards him. Secondly, they empathized with him. How do we know that? Because he had like dust on his head. So they put dust on their heads. He sat, so they sat. He remained quiet, so they remained quiet. They empathized with, that's what it is. It's putting myself in the shoes of the person with whom I'm connecting. So they moved towards him. They empathized with him. They didn't run a mile. Like sometimes they're like, oh, no, that news. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. So phone me when you're happy again, okay? They didn't do that, Thankfully. They were empathetic towards him. They helped him. They moved towards him. And they spent time with him, actually. Seven days and seven nights. As a, I would have been like, dude, there's emails to answer. Like, like the new series is coming. Come on, like, can we, you know? Do you have friends like that? If you don't, you should consider joining a life group where there are people of faith that would move towards you you see, because when life's lacquer, we don't need them. But when bad news of cancer strikes or a job loss beckons or you don't know what to do with your kid, that's the time you need people around you. Are you with me? Other question to ask is, are you a friend like that? Do you move towards people and your friends when they're battling rather than away? If you're a, a person here who, um, maybe you're battling with an addiction, every Thursday night here at church, Heal meets. It's a group called Heal. Could be battling with any kind of addiction. People who are battling with any and every kind of addiction, they meet here at seven o'clock. You could come along on Thursday night. You don't have to put your name down or anything. You just arrive. Guess what? If you're a family member of somebody who's addicted, there's a group for family members as well where they sit and they sit in the dust and say, what's it like to be married to an addict? What's it like to have an addict as a child? Are you with me? You could find friends in this community. So many of you need that. Do that, it'll change your life. Wisdom from Job's life is I love the fact that he didn't make emotional decisions while he was walking through the season of loss. You know, when his friends were irritating him and when they accused him of like doing all, Job, like it must be something in your life. He told, basically told them, hey, keep quiet. But he didn't get up, chuck more dust on them and say, hey, I'm immigrating, I'm going to Egypt. <laughs> he didn't do that. So often when we walk through seasons of loss, we make emotional decisions. I'm leaving. I'm burning that bridge. We give up jobs that we shouldn't do just because we're upset. We buy things we shouldn't buy. We sell stuff we shouldn't sell. We, we buy new houses or new cars. And the smell of the leather's gonna make me feel better. 
We get rid of friends that we shouldn't get rid of. We, we adopt new friends that we shouldn't. Don't make, here's the advice, don't make any changes to your life when you're struggling through a season of loss. Just let things be and when your head's back in the game, then start to do something. Are you with me? Muni, Dorf, Vies, Ni. Are you okay? Job's wisdom reminds me, or his story reminds me, that you can have both faith in God and questions for God. Job had big questions for God, guys. Enormous questions. Yet, he was unwavering in his faith. He was completely committed to God. Never doubted God's character or justice at all. Had huge questions for God. You can have questions for God and have faith in God at the same time. The two are not mutually exclusive. But let me tell you what he did do. Job hung on. He hung on to the character of God. He hung on to the hope that he could trust this God. He hung on to the fact that although this stuff has happened, this is not the final destination for my life. How do I know that? Because Job 19, Job chapter 19, verse 25, Job pens the most incredible words. Right in the midst of it, listen to me. While he's battling this stuff out while he, with his friends, while he's arguing with God, while he's telling his friends, you muchus, you don't know what you're talking about, while he's got these deep questions, while he's in the dust, with, covered from head to foot, while he's there, he pens these words. And yet, I know my Redeemer lives. And at the end, he will stand on the dust. Our declaration, what do we do with this today? To declare, I will take courage. God, I will take courage. I will stay steadfast. I will remember that He's in the waiting. He is in the waiting. And I will hold on to my hope. he's never failed us and he never will that's my declaration from today because God is a restoring God that which was taken was resupplied double hold on to that this morning somebody here this morning hold on to that and let me part you with this amazing blessing found in the book of Hebrews it says now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep and who ratified an eternal covenant with his blood May He equip you with all that you need for doing His will. May He produce in you 
through the power of Jesus Christ. May He produce in you, church, every good thing that's pleasing to Him. And may all glory be to Him forever and ever. This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.